Well, tonight we continue our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you'll turn to the last part of chapter 9, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 27. In case you haven't been with us the last few weeks, let me remind you of where we are in this book. Of course, the letter to the Corinthians is a reminder that this is a church that had some troubles and some trials and problems. And Paul has been addressing them. First of all, he addressed things that he thought was particularly important regarding their divisions and their ability to get along with each other and all those things. And then he began through the next part of the letter to address situations that they asked him questions about. And so he interacted with those things. And then in this section of the scripture, he was reminding them, first of all, of his advocating for the rights of apostles like himself to be paid and provided for on the field. But in this text, he's going to turn right around and boast that he hasn't and he won't make use of those rights that he was advocating for. Now, does this mean that Paul is crazy or wishy-washy? Is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? I'll let you judge as we read these words according to the Spirit as he talks about the rights of apostles, but what is most important in the life of apostles and the church. 15 of chapter 9. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As we consider these words, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, grant us wisdom and understanding from your word tonight. Open our hearts that we might understand and our ears that we might hear your word and obey it. Father, I pray that if any words are spoken here tonight that are not consistent with your own or any thoughts and meditations of our heart that are not pleasing in your sight, that these things should pass away and never be heard from again. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would wager to think, especially after talking to many of you, that some of you like to watch the news. In fact, if you follow news channels, you know that perhaps over the last several decades, journalism has taken a change. The journalist profession, we might even say, has taken a dumbing down. Now if you turn on a news channel, you're likely to get constant politics and constant opinion and constant talking heads of one persuasion or another. And it seems to be all about the divisions of us versus them. I remember the days when there was more in-depth investigative reporting, when they talked about stories of interest in the community or in a state or the country or even across the world, when there were those who were reporting on world events actually on the scene interviewing people in other countries and doing those things. But by and large, those days on journalistic everyday news channels have disappeared. Lengthy interviews are on the decline Victory in journalism means these things. Votes for your favorite political party. Likes as far as the media is concerned. And ratings. But such numbers and followings are not the ways of the kingdom. Sometimes I think we tend to think that the more numbers we have, the more individuals we have that say the right things, do the right things, that follow us or that like us, that these ones are the ones that prove that we're doing the right things. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says here, first of all, that his ground for boasting or his reward is something much different. Secondly, he says that he is making himself a servant. And finally, that his desire is to win the race. What does that mean to have victory in Jesus? First of all, Paul picks up where we left off last week. He picks up having said, it should be the right of apostle to be provided for, that is, as he comes and teaches the gospel and evangelizes the community of believers and those in uh, the surrounding area, that he should be given room and board in particular, and he should be provided for. In fact, if he wants to bring a family with him, he should also have his wife and family provided for on the field, all those things. And he's gone at length to say, in all honesty, that scripture itself, even the words of Jesus, say that a worker is due his wages. And Paul then turns around in verses 15 through 18 and says, I haven't made use of these provisions that I have the right to have. In fact, he says, my boasting is not even my rights as an apostle. He says, I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. In fact, if we had read this letter for the first time, we would have perhaps been convicted that we had not supplied for Paul's needs. In fact, we made him work helping to build and put together tents for a living as he was there preaching the gospel. And perhaps there might be those who hear the letter for the first time who are convicted that they did not provide for his needs while he was there. But that's not his point. He says this is not really the thing that I am happy about or even proud about, that I would be paid by you. 
In fact, he says this rather strange thing, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, the words of this verse are very strange. It appears that when he says, I would rather die, that he actually breaks off the sentence and does not complete his thought. The ESV here uses the language to use the rest of the, uh, that verse to, to kind of put it together. But the idea here is that he is so emotional about this particular aspect of his ministry that he is, in essence, saying, this is very, very important to me. He says, first of all, I would not have that ground for boasting taken away. Now, what is he talking about? A ground for boasting. It's not about being paid for his work. It's not about his works. He's already said in other places, it's by grace we're saved, not by our works. It is through faith. In fact, he says here, my boasting is not even in preaching the gospel. Here is Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary of his day, the the one who wrote so much material in the New Testament and planted church after church after church on the mission field. And he says in verse 16, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Why does it give him no ground for boasting? Well, it's because he has an obligation to preach. In fact, the word here that says, for necessity is laid upon me, is actually the words, I am indebted or I owe it to preach the gospel. Perhaps the best way to look at that is to look at the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke in such troubled days and had such a strange life in many ways, and experienced great persecution and suffering and trials. And he said this in chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah said, If I say I will not mention him, that is the Lord, or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. You see, the true preacher who is called to proclaim the gospel He cannot help but proclaim the gospel. If God has called him to do that, he he must do that to be obedient to the gospel call. And so Paul says, my boasting is not in my calling to preach the gospel. In fact, I have an obligation, a duty. I am duty bound to preach because God has called me to this purpose. In fact, here he says not only this, he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, to know that you are called to be an evangelist or a preacher or a teacher of the word of God and to fail to do it is to bring woe upon yourself. Instead, he says, If I do this of my own will, I will have reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. In other words, he says, it wasn't my idea to go out and preach. It wasn't something where I said and went to the Lord and said, hey, send me, I'm ready to go out and preach. If you remember Paul's story, he was the one who was persecuting the church. And he thought Jesus was a false god, a false teacher, And he went out to to basically destroy the church in Damascus. And at that moment was when Jesus called to him and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so he says here, I was not willing and yet it is a stewardship 
by God's will. In other words, God has entrusted to me this calling. I have no reason to boast if I don't perform these duties. Woe to me. And yet at the same time, God has entrusted to me the gifts that are necessary and the opportunities that are required to preach the gospel. And I am a mere steward by God's will of the gifts that he has given me and the calling that he has placed upon me. So what then is Paul boasting about? It's not about preaching and teaching the gospel. If it's not about being an apostle that is one who is sent by the Lord to tell the good news to his people, what is this boasting? Here's what he says. What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? In other words, for him, his reward is preaching free of charge. In his calling, in his circumstance, it's not necessarily everyone's calling and circumstance. That's why he was advocating for the rights of apostles to be paid for their services. In his context, in his calling, as God called him to be the preacher or the missionary to the Gentiles, it was his particular calling to do this without being paid and to do this as a tent-making pastor. This is kind of what it's like at home. Sometimes at home, I get tired of doing the dishes. I do the dishes a lot of times. Sometimes my kids do the dishes. When Elena's home, she does the dishes. Sometimes the boys do it. We try not to make my wife do the dishes. She does other chores at the house, like cooking the food, because they don't trust me to do that. And as we do the dishes, I think of myself sometimes. I don't really want to do them, and yet it is my privilege to do them, to think of the words that we might say, I serve at your pleasure. You see, that's what Paul is really saying through all this. He's saying that God has called me to this particular task under these particular circumstances, in this case to the Corinthian church, in their situation, that he would not be paid by them. It, does, by them. it doesn't mean that he wasn't paid by other churches or individuals at different times or circumstances, but in this case, he was called for this purpose. He was the ideal servant What do we think of an ideal servant of the kingdom? Hopefully we're thinking of their integrity, their character, their competency. That they would advocate indeed for the freedoms and rights of others in the kingdom. But they would also have a willingness to serve even without utilizing those rights and benefits themselves when the time comes. You see, believers always seek to respect others and treat them well but they are also willing to forgo such deserved rights and treatment and privileges for the sake of the kingdom. Paul's ground for boasting his reward was not making use of his right to be paid for the gospel. Instead, it was in making himself a true servant in order to win more. Here's what it says in verse 19. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, in those days, that idea of freedom was so different from today because he was preaching to those who had a group of freedmen, 
a group of slaves and a group of slave owners and everybody in between. Every social class was in that situation. In fact, he's already addressed to the Corinthians the idea of being free in Christ and the idea of being slaves to Christ. And here he says, I am free, but I've made myself a servant to win more. And then he lists how he's done this. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. Now, what is he saying by all this? Is he saying that he was a chameleon and he changed colors based on who he was with? Did he change the message to accommodate each people group? Did he tell one group that they had to follow the law and another group that they didn't? Did he tell one group they were saved by grace and another group that their works would save them? No. Here's what he meant. He says to those who wanted to follow the Jewish practices, being myself a Jew and understanding that was what that was like when I was around them, I understood the sensitivities that they had in these small things of whether or not they personally would follow this practices and these laws, and I became a Jew to be with them. When I saw those that were under the law, perhaps you're particularly thinking of those who, th- who felt themselves convicted that they needed to follow more of the Old Testament law and practices than others. He said, I would, in essence, as I am around them, practice the same things that they practiced. When he was around those outside the law, those that understood that they were saved by grace and they need not follow all the details of the law and they lived in such a way, Paul would live that way. He wasn't afraid to dine with Gentiles and to eat and to associate with those who were outside the law. And finally, he has just been addressing in chapter 8 those who are weak, those in particular who, when food was sacrificed to idols, even though all of us should understand that there aren't such things of idols and this food was really not tainted, that all things are considered clean to eat before God, yet if they thought this would destroy their faith by eating this meat, Paul would not eat it either. He said, I'd rather be a vegetarian, in essence, than eat meat and cause someone else to be led astray. Why is he doing this? Why did he become all things to all people in this sense? It's all summed up in these verses. It says this, verse 22, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. What is the most important thing to the man of God? It is the salvation that God offers through Jesus Christ. It is the kingdom first. It is the things of the gospel that are so much more valuable than the things of this life. Why does he not care if he gets provisions and is provided for amongst this particular church at this particular time? It's because of this. He felt that some of them may not be one to Christ or one in their relationship with Paul and the gospel unless he were to forego his rights and so he was willing to become a true servant and to live amongst them incarnate as his 
Savior Jesus did for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Is this the mantra of your life? Do you say, I do things and associate with people and uh, forego the rights that I, d- I am deserving of in this life for the sake of the gospel? Is the gospel the most important thing in your life? Paul says it is for him. And he became all things not only to save some for the sake of the gospel, but to share with them in the blessings. He understands that he is just like those he's preaching to. He is undeserving. He is a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. He is someone that could not earn his salvation. He was not lording over them his gifts and his talents of preaching and teaching. He was not lording over them the fact that he was called to an office of apostle who deserved rights and privileges in the church. He was willing to become a servant in order to win more and to share with them in the blessings. I haven't traveled overseas very much. You all know I've only gone to Latvia out of our country. I've done that four times. I plan to do that again in February. And it's been my privilege to go into the house of my friend Artis. And as you know, when you go to another culture, another place, they have different customs. In our house at home, we don't take our shoes off necessarily. Sometimes the kids or Jennifer do. I hardly ever take my shoes off when I come in the, in the house. I wipe them off if they're dirty or wet, but I wear my shoes through the house. But if I were to do that in artist's house, it would be considered a little bit odd or different. They would not perhaps say anything to me about it because they too are servants of the kingdom, but it's the expectation that you take your shoes off. It might be because there's more snow there, and I'm there especially during the winter, and if you wear your shoes through the house, there are puddles of water that accumulate on the carpet or the floors in different places of the building. So an artist came and visited our house. He asked us, do I need to take my shoes off? He said, I understand that you don't have to as much around here. And so he said, no, don't worry about it. We don't necessarily have to take our shoes off. You see, we're willing to live with the people that God places around us. Now, the message of the gospel never changes. The morality of the believer in following in integrity and character, the word of God does not change either. But the behavior regarding what we often call the adiaphora, that is an indifference to practices because they are neither commanded nor forbidden in scripture, may change. In other words, when we come into a people group that we have different customs or different ideas about, we don't change our moral principles, we don't engage in immorality, we don't engage in lying or other matters of integrity, but we also perhaps might change our behavior to adapt to the customs of their culture that are not opposed to scripture because we love them and we want for them to hear the gospel. Now there's a problem when churches mix up and change the gospel depending on who's in their company. There's a problem when people in the church begin to engage in immoral practices when they're around other individuals who are engaged in such activity. 
but it becomes a problem if we're not willing to compromise our customs and our practices for the sake of those who would hear the gospel and see the salt of the earth that we are called to be and how we live our lives in the gospel. You see, Paul, in the end, is not just saying, I'm boasting in going out here to preach the gospel free of charge and becoming a servant to all people. He says, really, what I'm all about is winning the race. You say, what? How does that make sense? When you're talking about a servant, does a servant win the race? But hear what he says, verse 24, in the midst of all of this, he said, just in verse 23, he says, I do it all for the sake of of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And then he uses this illustration. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, it's interesting here. Paul uses these athletic analogies. It's particularly potent here in Corinth. In Corinth, every other year in this time of their existence, they had the Isthmus Games there. It was second in importance for them only to the Olympic Games. They had the Isthmus Games, and there would be lengthy races that were run. And, of course, the athletes there would have to go into 10-month training in order to win and, and to compete for winning the race. He says all runners compete. All those who qualified for that race had undergone a 10-month regimen of self-discipline and self-control, abstaining from certain things and building up their body's endurance to run this race. Now he does say only one wins. But that's not his point. His point is this. Run that you may obtain it. In other words, you run to win. Lest you think that the believer is just sitting back, lazily enjoying the promises of God, Paul is an example of someone who threw his whole life out there for the sake of the gospel and did everything within his power to tell others the good news of Christ. The life of a believer is not lazy. It is not with out activity it is not something that does not take endurance in fact he says this every athlete exercises self-control in all things again probably a reference to this 10-month regiment of training they do it to receive a perishable wreath kind of interesting what they received first of all a pine wreath there was a time period in fact in which they received a wreath of celery of all things And he says, you don't do it for these wreaths. You do it for an imperishable prize. In other words, we seek to win. We seek to do things for the sake of the gospel, not to earn our salvation, but because we understand the gospel and its importance and its saving grace, we will do everything within our power to support and encourage and work for the gospel proclamation. Then he says this, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Again, another athletic analogy. Of course, this is shadow boxing or something like that. And he's perhaps not talking about the training here. He's actually talking about the boxing match. He he actually is saying, I will go out and beat and bruise somebody. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. 
lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, he understands here that when a servant of the kingdom of God is proclaiming the gospel, he needs to practice what he preaches. He needs to understand that if he preaches the gospel, but doesn't uh, maintain his integrity, doesn't let the spirit empower him to live a godly life, doesn't continuously repent of his sins and ask God to sanctify him and seek to grow in his faith and in his life practicing the the, the things of the gospel, he would be disqualified. Now over the last couple of months, My wife thinks this is why I've had some sciatic trouble over the last couple of months. We've maybe once or twice a month gone and taken the boys bowling. Bowling, of course, is a different activity if you haven't done it for a while. But bowling also, it has a foul line. Now, if you go and you come up to the the line and you, you have all the right form and all those other things, but your foot crosses that line, then if you're keeping the right scores... Your score doesn't count. You're disqualified. Now, if you're a good bowler, that is someone you're bowling in a league, perhaps you even become a professional bowler seeking to bowl those 300 games and all those things, then it takes practice to win. It takes practice and discipline. You have to have your steps just right. You have to have the action of your arm just right as you either spin or don't spin the ball. You have to, over and over again, Practice and discipline yourself to have the same action and the same method in order to get those strikes with your ball. The life of the believer is like this too. Lest we fall into static life of a Christian, that is one that is not growing or not changing, lest we be lazy Christians that sit around just receiving the blessings and not seeking to pass those blessings on to others, lest we fall into sin and depravity because we are not in the scriptures, we are not seeking to pray to the Father, and we are not coming to worship with fellow believers. You see, the life of the believer is quite active and disciplined. You see, even the teaching of Jesus is clear. His example of interacting with people from every walk of life, even a Samaritan woman, even adulterous women, those pariahs of the day like tax collectors. His example of washing the feet of his disciples as a servant or a slave. His example of, of an illustration where he told them if you're the, he told them if you are the honored guest, don't even sit at the head of the table, sit at the lowest place so that if they want they can promote you. Give up your rights for the sake of the gospel. All of these demonstrate that the point of the kingdom is this to love God first and to love others next. And we come last. Victory starts with the discipline of faith, seeking the kingdom before yourself. Of course, we know it starts with God coming to us, calling us, saving us, doing all the work of salvation for us. But once we have come to the foot of the cross in humility and believed in Jesus Christ, then it no longer becomes about us and our rights and our privileges and our ideas. It's all about others. God first, others second, 
last that we might win the race and that by God's grace we might save some. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our lives might look like this kind of victory. It's not the victory that the world describes, the victory of gaining material possessions and things, the victory of experiencing great accolades, the victory of having blessings poured down upon us from all different, all different kinds of people. But Lord, victory looks hard. It looks like sometimes giving up what we love, giving up what we deserve, giving up rights and privileges, even connected with the gospel, that by your grace, we might be the instruments that you use to bring others into the kingdom. Lord, let Christ be the victory in us and in the church. In Jesus' name.